Sports writer Kyle Newman here bringing you another loaded show today. And we're talking, of course, the hottest team in baseball, the Colorado Club, 16 and 6 July, as they head into August as of the recording of this show, and looking to continue that run as they pursue their first divisional crown in franchise history and first back-to-back playoff berth in franchise history. You've probably heard me say those two uh, facts a lot on the show this year, but they certainly loom large, especially considering the huge expectations for this club coming into the season, the way they scuffle coming out of the gate, and then their recent resurgence led by the starting pitching over this past month plus. So loaded show, as I mentioned, Kyle Newman here, and I'll be throwing it to my colleague Patrick Saunders for the main segment of this week's show. He's got St. Louis Post-Dispatch Cardinals beat writer Derek Gould on the show talking an outsider's take on the Colorado Rockies, plus some insight into the Cardinals. Derek, originally from Louis Colorado, so he's got that Colorado connection as well, so it'll be great to have him on the show talking a little baseball. Thanks to him for coming on. And in the final segment of the show, I'll be bringing some analysis on the trade deadline and Colorado's moves or lack thereof. They stood pat on trade deadline day as some of their divisional rivals made some moves around them and pretty quiet deadline overall for the Rockies. Sonwan O highlighting the acquisitions, but besides that, nothing doing and Jeff Breidich and co basically doubling down on the personnel in-house I'll assess plus some more analysis on O and his already impact we've seen in just his handful of outings so far since he came over from Toronto again my name is Kyle Newman this is the On The Rocks podcast appreciate you tuning in and come back more for the main segment as Patrick Saunders talks to Derek Gould about the Cardinals and an outsider's perspective on the Rockies Welcome back to this segment of the On The Rocks podcast. I'm Patrick Saunders, Rockies beat writer for the Denver Post. I'm perched here at Bush Stadium in St. Louis at the press box. Very, very high above the playing surface. Still a gorgeous uh, ballpark. You can see the arch out beyond right center field. Uh, it's always a kick to, to come to St. Louis. Certainly one of the, the best baseball cities in the country. And on that note, my guest today is Derek Gould, Colorado native and St. Louis Post-Dispatch beat writer for the Cardinals. Derek, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome to uh, welcome to St. Louis. We we dialed back the weather for you to make it more appealing for you specifically, <laughs> just from some, for someone from oh Colorado. Oh, my God. Quick story. Uh, you know, on Market Street, there's a courtyard by Marriott way up the – I'm probably a mile away from the hill, mm-hmm. up on the hill. So this was – I was here August, July sometime years ago. I thought, nah, I'll just walk. It's a good mile walk. Yeah. By the time I got to the ballpark, it looked like I'd taken a shower. Oh, yeah, it's it like walking cr- through a humidifier, it was a sauna, yeah. more like a sauna. Yeah, yeah. like the old son- Seinfeld reference. Right, right, like right. sauna in there, Derek. Hey, um, tell the listeners, you are a Colorado native, uh, born and raised in Louis- Not born, born oh, in Chicago. Born in Chicago, but moved, raised in Louisville. Raised, raised, moved, okay. one of the... Uh, 
one of the uh, transplants. Okay. We used to have a T-shirt that said trans. It was the Colorado license plate, and it said transplant. Oh, you did. Yeah. But you went to Centaurus High School. Went to, well, all of my school, um, except for college, was was in Colorado. Yeah, grew up in Louisville. Went to Mighty Centaurus High School. Go Warriors. Um, <laughs> went to Louisville Middle School. Go Pirates. And uh, I believe I was part of the class at Louisville Elementary School that adopted the Panthers as the mascot. Wow. So. Uh, so, yeah, go Panthers. I don't know if it still is the Panthers, <laughs> but I know this was a big school vote when I was there. <laughs> Very storied history. Oh, yeah. No. Now, we were talking about this earlier today on the phone. You actually worked with my formal rival paper, yeah. the Rocky Mountain News, for a while, right? Not only that, like, no, no offense, but I grew up reading the Rocky Mountain News. I mean, my, my mornings were collecting my dad's spare quarters or whatever quarters I could uh, um, get. Try, uh, biking down to the single copy boxes that were at the end of our little neighborhood there, and I still remember I've driven by to see if they're still there. They're not, but I would bike down there and punch whatever quarters I had into first by the Rocky. If I had enough quarters, then the Daily Camera. If I had enough quarters, then the Denver Post. So no, no offense or anything. But well, my I'd, dad wrote for the Rockman News for 54 years. So, so yeah, I, you're you're cool with me. There. It was a dream come true to get to go back and work for the Rocky Mountain News. I bet. Yeah. Um, You've been the beat writer here for the Cardinals for how long now? I have been on the beat. Uh, this is my 15th wow. season, 16th season. 04 was the first time I moved to the beat. Um, I have been in my current position since uh, after the 12th season, so starting with 13 okay. in the current whatever title I have now. I've always been fascinated. But by it's the 15th or 16th year on the beat. I've always been fascinated coming here just the hold that this team has not just on the city but the entire region yeah uh, and you know what it's like back home for me back home it's it, the broncos you know we can't kid ourselves they are everything sure even when the rockies are playing as well as they are now i get the sense that the cardinals are the broncos to this area but maybe even more oh uh, well very similar um, very much in the same vein like that the packers are for green bay the broncos are for denver uh, the Cardinals are for Missouri um, and for St. Louis particularly, but you have to add decades of history. I mean, you think about it, like what were the Broncos in 1926? I mean, they weren't. They were not existing. They were not. Uh, the Cardinals were winning a championship. You know, uh, what were the Broncos in the 1930s? They weren't. The Cardinals were the gas house gang. What were the Broncos in the 1940s? We know what the Packers were, right? You know what they were starting to be. Um, but the Cardinals had Stan Musial, right? Um, so you have to they think. They won the '46 series, is yeah, that correct? Yeah, '44, yeah, '40, yeah, the, yeah. the Swifties. Yeah. Um, you know, they kind of dominated wartime National League. Um, so you think about the what the Broncos' hold is, and absolutely, it's strong. I mean, you know, the, the front range is dipped in orange, but you got to understand that, like, you have to multiply that history um, and give every generation. Uh, a Hall of Famer and give every generation a championship and then tell that generation to pass it along to the next generation and say expect it. So it would be as if the Broncos had not just Elway but an Elway for every generation because that's what Rogers Hornsby was in the 20s. That's when you know you got the Gas House Gang with Dizzy Dean and that group in the 30s. Then you have Stan Musial in the 40s. I mean you go year by year by your 60s have Gibson and Lou Brock Every generation has a championship. Every generation has a Hall of Famer. 
um, and that's the you know the, uh, the the thrust of it. So it it's magnified. And I'm glad you brought up the region because the region is this you know for a long time, still for for most of its history, though though that's starting to fade, obviously. Um, for most of its history, the Cardinals were still the furthest team west and the furthest team south. And they also had the 50,000 watt blowtorch of KMOX, which you could get in Denver, which you could get in Baraboo, Wisconsin, where my granddad grew up. You could get in New Orleans, where I worked. Um, so you have this far-flung Cardinal nation that not only had the captivating talent and the championships to make people want to listen, but you had a, had a medium that carried the game to 48 states. Uh, and that, that created such a wealth um, of a fan base and such a rich history that is a shared and broad history that uh, you're right. I mean, it, it, I was talking with somebody today and just think about what St. Louis is known for. If you ask somebody in, you know, go down to Lodo or, right. or walk Pearl Street Mall and ask them, hey, what do you know about St. Louis? How far do they get into their list before they say the St. Louis Cardinals? No, exactly. They say the arts, the St. Louis Cardinals, mm -hmm. soul food. Toasted ravioli, maybe. Yeah, blues, good Italian food. Mississippi River. But you're right. Saying, Mark well, my, Twain. Derek, my dad grew up, born and raised in Denver, but he grew up as a Cardinals fan yeah. because of Camel X. Stan Musial was his all-time favorite athlete. Yeah. He raised me before, when I was just a kid in the 60s, he raised me to be a Cardinals fan. Yeah. And so when I went to the Hall of Fame last summer, you know, I scoped out Bob Gibson. It uh, wasn't the, the best of... Best of meetings, let's say, but at least I still Oh, did he to... give you the bob? Yeah, he gave me the bob. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay. That's okay. Everybody yeah. gets a Bob Gibson story. They're yes. usually pretty good. They're, yeah. They're, Hi, I'm, I'm so-and-so from this, and I don't care. I know. You should have seen when I asked him to take my photo with him. Oh, he did it. Did he? Begrudgingly, let's uh, put it that way. That's yeah. okay. Still a great, great, great ball player. Yeah, and, and, and also should be noted, having been around long enough that he actually, like, talks to me. Yeah. Um... A, a good person, to good man, good guy to talk to. I, very, I enjoy. Very smart. Yeah, and very good tales, and uh, very aware of his place in the game's history, and eager to, and happy to talk about that. Um, um, and very respectful of the people who came after him before, right. um, but who also may not have known what he and his generation of players, especially African American players, went through, that they then got to, over, you know, in a lot of ways, overcome and oh, celebrate. Sure. And so. He, uh, he's great, great to talk to. Good ambassador for the team. As a beat guy and a writer for this team, uh, the pressure level, I would imagine, is pretty intense mm -hmm. in this town because we all know the struggles that, that newspapers via the print product or the web product now are going through. Uh, but in my mind, anyway, they are still, uh, they're still the history keeper. They're still the, uh, the chronicle Mm -hmm. of, a, of an organization, of a team, and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch has been that forever for the Cardinals. Uh, do you ever feel the weight of that? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I work with... Hi. Uh, work, uh, work. BBWA Royalty. <laughs> I'm sorry. I work... Uh, I work with... Uh, you know, I, I sit beside a Hall of Famer and have for every every game I've covered here. And we're Rick talking Hummel. about... There you go. Rick Commish. And, uh, you know, every year that he covers the team is another year of a hundred and now four consecutive, 103 consecutive years that professional baseball has been covered by a Hall of Fame writer here in town consecutively, not without, without gap. So from the moment, you know, a young writer um, by the name of 
J.G. Taylor Spink, the guy who the, the guy award is named, named after, after correct. stepped on a plane to go cover spring training. Um, the, the beat has been covered consecutively by Hall of Fame riders, and um, you you know you feel the weight of the uh, of the expectations. Um, and but it also is a great tailwind. I mean, you know, it, it's an amazing tailwind because you know it, it it gives you a head start on how much people. Um, value the, the coverage. I mean, when you have, you know, Rick Hummel and then Joe Strauss, those were the two guys who I worked with the closest, the late Joe Strauss, um, who set the bar high. You know, Rick's in the Hall of Fame and he's considered one of the one of the really great historians and great game writers of the time. And then you have Joe Strauss, who is uh, widely considered one of the best reporters on a baseball beat. Um, and a guy who just had the right edge of cynicism and right edge of, you know, just uh, had a real good sense of when to defend the game and when to expose the game. You, you learn a lot from that. And so you're definitely the product of the people who came before you. And if you don't try your damnedest to rise to that level, you're, you, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't wake up every day thinking I have the job tomorrow. I think I wake up every day going, how do I earn the job today? That's amazing. Because I know that people will come for it tomorrow. So how do I keep this as long as I can? Because if the paper can find somebody better, they'll do it. Yeah. Um, I have often said, people will ask me, what's your favorite ballpark? And you know, I'll tell them, in my opinion, PNC is my favorite ballpark, okay? Yeah. And then they'll say, well, what's your favorite, what's the best crowd, whatever. What I always tell, tell them about St. Louis, and I'm curious to get your take on this, there are other ballparks I go to that are sometimes louder, rowdier, more intense. Oakland. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. But think about it. I mean, that's like a, like a sleeper. Pick. Yeah, yeah. But, but I always tell people that I think the fans in St. Louis, and I don't know if it's fair to say they're the most knowledgeable, they may well be, but they're certainly the most appreciative fans about baseball. And why I say that is, I've been here many a time when a Rockies player will make an outstanding play or a Rockies player gets his first major league hit or something. Mm -hmm. The fans are paying attention and they will clap and applaud the opposing team. Yeah. That is very rare to find that anywhere else. Yeah, you don't, it, it's not as much as it used to be. Um, I think some of that was because you had a situation where the Cardinals were were the kings of the National League, and you could often say, "Hey, thanks for thanks for playing well enough, but we're you know the fans <laughs> so are like little, we're still going to win." So a little bit of condescension. No, not condescension, but comfort. Okay. You know, like an awareness of what a good play was, but that the better team was still there. Gotcha. Um, so you see some softening of that. Uh, I mean, I, there was one of the more remarkable times, and it's anecdotal, but one of the more remarkable moments I remember here was. Carlos Lee, uh, left fielder for the Milwaukee Brewers, went back to the wall. It was at this ballpark at Bush Stadium 3. Went back to the wall, reached, jumped, reached over, stole a home run, and came back. And there's there was a photo, but we could see it at the time, but there was a photo of fans applauding, saying, you know, that's a, that's yeah. a tremendous play. Well, done. And it's Cardinal fans applauding. Cardinal fans who just had a home run taken away from them. Carlos Lee steps up, hits the winning home run right then in that next inning. I'm pretty sure in the next inning, if not soon after, he's the guy who beats the the Cardinals. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, that's pretty good. That's a wow. pretty good turn. Wow. And I was like, 
what uh, what's happening here? But they, you know, it was that kind of one. Um, you know, David Freeze, you're, you're not here when he um, comes here, um, but he comes with the Pirates quite often, and he will get an, an ovation every at-bat. Sure. And it is seven years since, since, the, World Series since the World Series that he won. Wow. Every, every time he comes to he can come to the plate, rip a grand slam that turns a game into a rout, and the next time he comes up, even if it's in the same inning, he will get – I mean, it hasn't happened, but say it happens. It would. He will get an ovation. Um, Ryan Howard, you know, a hometown guy, same kind of thing. You know, they're aware of the former players. Um, and some of it, too, is leaked into the into the players themselves. And the standard that uh, that Tony LaRusa helped set in, is that you see some former Cardinals come to the plate and Yachty will stand in front of the plate and let them have the moment. That's interesting. Yeah. That's and it'll wave cool. the pitcher off the mound, um, you know, if it's a young pitcher. And you just, it's really a subtle thing, but you can see Yachty where he'll stand in front of the plate. Clearly not going to have, but let the batter be at it by himself. Well, let's switch gears for a second. Your son, mm-hmm. he came in and saw us in the press box the other day, myself and, and Thomas Harding from MLB.com. And he was wearing a Rockies cap, I believe. He was, a batting practice hat. Yeah. 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 And I don't remember if he was wearing a jersey or not. He was not. He was wearing a Colorado flag That's t-shirt. what it was. That was his. But yeah. he's, a, he's a Rockies fan. He has become a and Rockies fan. And he's a fan. Nolan Arenado fan. Yeah. So yeah. how did that all happen? Um, and what's his name, by the way? Uh, Nolan your, Arenado? No, your oh, son. My, son, my, my son's name is Ian. There you I-A-N. go. Um, the, uh, so, you know, I... I take him back to Colorado um, as much as I can. I mean, we, we call it our guys' trip, and we used to go different places um, every year. Um, and then we went to Colorado when he was really young so he could meet people. Um, then we went back to Colorado about five, six years ago. Um, and he was like, you know, let's just go back here. I want to see where you're from. Like, he asked me, he goes, I think it's time I see where you're, where you're from. I'd like to see the house you grew up in. Uh, my parents don't live there anymore. Um, so it got really awkward when we walked in. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but uh, you know, we I took him by there. I took him to. Uh, um, I don't know if I've taken. I'm taking him to Centaurus. Um, but uh, you know, I, and meet friends and everything like that. So he just likes to go back, and he likes to have some kind of connection to Colorado. His godparents are are there in Colorado, and uh, his godmother is there in Colorado. Uh, you know, he's got friends of my friends or the the kids of my friends have become his friends which okay. is awesome to see um so he likes to go back and he he wanted some kind of connection to colorado and um it helps that the rockies have some charismatic players you know um all-stars mvp level players uh you know charlie blackman nolan arenado who is a highlight reel obviously so you can see all those things now on quick pitch um you can see the Rockies games um, at a reasonable hour here. They're an hour later, but um, you're going to get the highlights. You're going to get the box score in the next day's paper. These kind of things. Um, so it's through all those connections. But mostly, mostly, if if you ask him, he'll say it's because I wanted a connection to Colorado. I wanted something of Colorado that I could say is mine, and the Rockies are it. When I have a vote, well, we both have votes post uh, at the end of the season uh, for the whatever is assigned to us, MVP, Cy Young. But I've noticed the last few years, I think you and I both had vote for NL MVP. We, so here, 
just uh, it doesn't get passed around okay. here in town. It's uh, it's it, they as you'd expect with St. Louis, there's a history to who votes for okay. what. But I've noticed that in the voting, and I don't know off the top of my head exactly where you voted for Arnado, but where Arnado? I think it was third, maybe. I think so. Yeah. But very high. And yeah. my point, Derek, is that I will notice writers from other parts of the country who vote for the MVP mm -hmm. who do not give Nolan near the consideration in past years anyway that I certainly think he deserves. Mm -hmm. And I noticed you are one of those who always does. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because you simply you know what a good ball player he is? Um, well, yeah, well, I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's because I do a lot of diligence and I report and I look at numbers and I look at advanced metrics and I look at complete games and, um, and I try, try, try to see as much as possible. Um, I do, you know, I, I try to, I used to watch the Dodgers a lot. I used to watch the Giants a lot because I could. Um, so you see a lot of the NL West teams go through. Um, you know, the timing is right for that, sure. right? Like I get home in time um, after deadline here to like see some of the Dodgers and right. Giants game. Um, you know, the uh, or the Padres if they're on, I guess, or when, when Dick Schaap was doing the Padres game, I watched the Padres game. But anyway, you see a lot of the NOS, so I try to do my best to to watch and to pay attention and to look at the advanced metrics, and I do uh, this big, elaborate, handmade grid. Um, people say I need to learn Excel. I know Excel. I'm just the kind of like to do. I'm just that kind of learner, you, you know, where if I write it out, I remember it. Um, as opposed to type it out. Um, so I like to do this grid where it looks at, you know, significant um, offensive metric or, you know, the significant offensive things and who ranks what where and, you know, normalize for park and do all the things that you can do now with, with stats and with math and with knowledge. And then I try to mix in reporting and, you know, ask around who changes games. Um, you know, a few years ago, um, I voted Yadier Molina one on my ballot. Um, he had a really strong offensive year, career highs in a lot of ways, and was a, was a force offensively. He also was um, the catcher for one of the best pitching staffs and youngest pitching staffs in the game, and no one stole on him. And uh, Andrew McCutcheon won the MVP that year. He got all but two votes. Um, he was an almost unanimous number one. Um, one of the votes that uh, he did not get first was mine. And obviously when the St. Louis guy votes for the St. Louis catcher, um, one, and everybody else disagrees, you can imagine how Twitter reacts. Yeah, you get a little you can imagine, wrath. Yeah, yeah, you can imagine how, uh, how, how my phone rang with uh, um, funny guys from sports radio in Pittsburgh, and uh, I was about a joke. Um, now, my... Yeah, I mean, you've gotten to know me pretty well. My, my, uh, and people who knew me growing up will not be surprised by this. Um, I'm not really good at sitting there and taking it. I would much rather say, okay, I'll go out and defend myself. You want to have this debate? Let's go. And uh, so anybody who called and asked and wanted to have me on to make fun of me, fine. But then I got the floor. Um, or wanted to get have me on and challenge, and then I got the floor. Um, and, you know, I, w I went on MLB Network. Um, Brian Kenny had me on, and we talked about it. And I, and I said, look, Brian, if, if, if I didn't – if Andrew McCutcheon is calling all of the pitches from center field and my reporting did not unearth that, then I will admit a failure. <laughs> I'm sorry. Then that's my pr fault. Because if he's calling all the pitches and directing all the traffic and doing that from center field, then by all means his influence of the game – 
is great, but I don't see any one area where he stood so far above Molina that you could ignore the fact that so much of what happens in the game um, is, and I'm getting to your Arenado point, that so much of the game is in the hands of Molina. And to me, I've come to, as I voted for MVP, which I've had since 13, um, okay. so I've had a ballot, So I know, and I know this year I'll have that ballot. Like I said, it's it, here it's it, history just kind of right. decides who gets it. Um, so I know, um, but to me over time, most valuable has become most influential. Who has the most influence over a game? Who has the most influence over his team's success? Um, there is a lot to say about Max Scherzer as very influential over his team's success. Um, same with Clayton Kershaw when I voted for him. You look at, I know people push back, well, he only pitches every five days. Yeah, well, look at how many batters he faced. How does that compare to the number of times, you know, uh, Matt Kemp is up in the top, in a season? You know, just compare those two things. Compare those two numbers. Right. How many at-bats is Kershaw dictating versus how many at-bats is Bryce Harper taking? You know, you start to understand, like, oh, this is big influence over not just one game, but several games, the equivalent of several games. And to me, Nolan Arenado is an influential impact player. He steals runs, and he creates runs. He is the... He's the most gifted two-way player in the National League um, in that sense. He is both run prevention, which is a skill, and run creation, which is a skill. And no one does the blend of those two things better, I think. I agree with you, and we've talked about it before. Just for sheer entertainment value, we're getting beyond sabermetrics here. Very few players are as much fun to watch. Yeah, as yeah. Nolan Arnado. I'll admit this. I, uh, I'm partial to the third baseman. Um, I always have been. My favorite player growing up was a third baseman. My, my, my favorite, I mean, I, you know, when you dabble in baseball until they take it away from you and say you're not good enough to even dabble, um, third base was my favorite position to play. I, 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 I adore third base. I'll admit it. That's good. I don't think I've ever said it before. Well, I like, but I, I lean towards third base, so yeah, you know. But I also like seeing complete players. Sure. And he's a complete player. Derek, we both have to get down and just start doing our jobs. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, that absolutely. is Derek Gold, the beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And I'm Patrick Saunders, Rockies beat writer for the Denver Post. And up next, my colleague, Kyle Newman, will have his spots on the state of the Rockies. Stay with us. everybody welcome back to the on the rocks podcast i'm denver post sports writer kyle newman here bringing you the final segment of this week's show again thanks to st louis post dispatch beat reporter Derek gould for joining patrick saunders on the main segment of the show today some great analysis into the cardinals and an outsider's perspective of the colorado rockies so here for the final segment of the show, I've got some analysis and perspective on assessing the Rockies' midseason moves or lack thereof. And of course, we'll start off with the headliner, Son Wano, brought over for, from Toronto, 
and so far he's been pretty impressive. Two hits, a walk, and no earned runs in three innings pitched as of the recording of this podcast. But what's perhaps even more impressive to me is his demeanor out on the mound. I mean, he truly has lived up to that Stone Buddha and that Final Boss nickname through these first few outings. And the thing is, the Rocks don't need him to be the Final Boss, per se. They really need him to be the seventh inning boss. And he's done pretty well of that so far. And if they can continue to call his number 18 number down the stretch of August into September, that's going to be a huge, huge sturdying point for that Rockies rotation and it really came at a pretty cheap price when you consider it uh, shipped from Toronto in exchange for Chad Spamberger and Forrest Wall two pretty highly rated prospects especially considering Wall as well as a player to be named later but hey when you consider those and then the around 500,000 that the Rockies are paying oh this season for the remainder of this season and as well as the fact that the club has his contract under their control through the 2021 season. This could end up being not only a steal here for these next couple months for Colorado, but a steal for these next couple years for Jeff Breidich and co. If someone O continues to pitch as he's been pitching, the final boss, we'll see if he continues to live up to that. So that's that's the good news for Rockies fans. Of course, that came uh, way before the, the trade deadline day as the clock was ta- counting down on July 31st. And when that deadline day came and went, the Rockies sat pat while a number of their divisional rivals and the National League in general got a lot better, I'd say. They, they made some moves, you could say. And so we, when we look at these, these moves that were made, the Dodgers, Manny Machado obviously acquired earlier, but then they got Brian Dozier and reliever John Axford. So shoring up the infield further for the Dodgers and then also in that bullpen. And then Arizona also in division, Brad Ziegler and Jake Diekman shoring up the pen with the righty and the lefty. And another infielder, Eduardo Escobar, who came over uh, earlier before the trade deadline day. So Dodgers and Arizona both making major moves to shore up their rosters. Meanwhile, outside the division, the Pirates added pitchers Keone Kella and Chris Archer really stabilizing uh, those arms out there in Pittsburgh. Braves got pitcher Kevin Gosman, Centennial Colorado local, went to Grandview High School, as well as outfielder Adam Duvall. And hey, the Phillies picked up catcher Wilson Ramos, so beefing up their lineup. So all those clubs making the necessary moves that they felt they needed to make. Uh, Meanwhile, Rocky's not doing anything. Now, of course, let's do note the free agent minor league deals that Breidich went out and signed Santiago Casilla, right-handed pitcher, longtime Bay Area guy, uh, pitched for Oakland. Then the Giants won three world championships with them. Back to Oakland uh, before being released earlier in the summer, and he's going to come out of deal. He'll start in AAA, and that's kind of a just you know roll the dice, not much to lose. If he comes around as a 38-year-old and is somehow able to come up to the major league level and shore up that Colorado bullpen in addition to O, uh, that's that's a steal for Breidich there. Matt Holliday, of course, the other big notable signing that came down in the past week for the Colorado Rockies. Holiday now 38 years old, looking for one last crack at it, and he is starting in Grand Junction, rookie-level ball, before likely being moved up to AAA, see what he can do there. Now, now it'll be interesting to see if the Rockies can get a Jason Giambi-type performance out of Holiday at 40. Giambi came to the Rockies, hit 13 home runs in 64 games 
uh, in 2011. So he provided a serious spark off that bench, and especially in terms of power, it'll be interesting to see if Holiday can do the same if he even gets to the big league level. We'll see if that happens, especially during September call-ups when those rosters expand. You can read more on Matt Holiday at DenverPost.com slash Rockies. Mark Kisla and Patrick Saunders debate. Can Matt Holiday be Golden Thong 2.0 for the Rockies? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should probably read the story. DenverPost.com slash Rockies. So Matt Holiday, Santiago Casilla, two minor league deals for some old guys not ready to hang up the cleats just yet. And they got a semi-old guy in the 36-year-old O, but he's been pitching pretty decently so far. So when when you compare what the Rockies did to what the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers and really some of those other NL wild card and divisional contenders did, it seems pretty paltry, but it really comes, you know, back to the the main question at hand here is do the Rockies, and by the Rockies I mean Jeff Breidich and Bud Black and that coaching staff believe in the pieces they have in place. Now of course they poured over a hundred million into into the bullpen in the offseason. Resign Carlos Gonzalez. They got obviously the the core in place with the Blackman deal now. Uh, Arenado, his time here is is short. It's getting shorter, but he's still around. They got Lemayhew at least for the rest of this season. The window is certainly there. The talent is certainly there. And despite some of the inconsistencies and struggles, they certainly seem to believe that based off their lack of movement on trade deadline day. Breidich didn't wow with any snazzy deals for a perennial all-star arm out of the bullpen, or he didn't bring in any hard-hitting, big-hitting catchers like JT Realmuto, but he stood firm, and and that standing firm says quite a bit about uh, the confidence, I think, the Rockies have in themselves going forward, referencing a Patrick Saunders story here on DenverPost.com slash Rockies. Now, Carlos Gonzalez is quoted as saying, this team has been ready from the get-go, from spring training on. We are playing really good baseball. I just feel like when it comes to the trade deadline, everyone feels like everybody has to make a move. But if you are playing good baseball and you're confident with the guys you have, there's no problem staying the same. As Patrick Saunders wrote, the next line, maybe, maybe not, and that will remain to be seen, of course, over these next couple months. Uh, Rocky sure hot as Hades right now with the second best month in franchise history coming off that 16-6 and 6 July going into August. But one final thought to leave some of these Rockies fans listening to the On the Rocks podcast today, uh, maybe who are feeling a, little, feeling a little grouchy, feeling a little... Uh, angry that the Rockies didn't make a big splashy move at the trade deadline or on trade deadline day. They wanted that that lefty guy out of the pen who can just come in and dominate. And 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 O O was a good signing, yes, but that's not what these sorts of fans were looking for. They were looking for the big name. And the Rockies obviously didn't land any big names. They didn't really do much at all. But to those people, I do say. Think about what the asking price in return for some of these players was. And and obviously from, from how the Rockies stood pat, Jeff Breidich and co. deemed it was too high and they moved on. And, and that asking price that I'm talking about probably, most likely, included Brendan Rodgers, the Rockies' pretty much top prospect who is being groomed to uh, come up to the big leagues 
in the near future, no doubt, just got called up to AAA. And so his name, I'm sure, came up quite a bit throughout this whole trade deadline process. But obviously the Rockies believe in him quite a bit, and they don't want to part with him to uh, you know sacrifice the future for right now when right now might be fully well stocked and ready to go. And that's obviously what they believe based off those moves. Again, Sonwan Oh, the headliner, right-handed final boss coming in from Toronto, and also Santiago Garcia, Matt Holliday, some free agent signings besides that. Rockies standing pat at the deadline. Again, folks, this is the On the Rocks podcast. Appreciate you listening in. This has been Denver Post sports writer Kyle Newman with some analysis. And again, thanks to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch's Derek Gould for coming on the main segment of the show, providing an outsider's take on the Colorado Club. That will just about do it for today's show, and appreciate you listening in. Come back next week for more analysis and insight into the Colorado Rockies Baseball Club. Take it easy, folks. Thank you.